Hello and welcome to this episode of the ISBA BursaCast. This episode has been recorded and released on the 27th of January. Apologies, we're a day late. We wanted to include some last minute updates, so forgive us. But in this episode, we're going to be hearing from our great friend Oliver Daniels over at HCR, who's going to talk us through a lot of the strike action and industrial disputes that are going on what we should really be thinking about and perhaps best things to do to navigate them from a bursas slash school management perspective. Alongside this, we have the usual updates from the ISBA, and then we're going to hear from our other great friend, Rex Sartain, to go through the advice and guidance, questions and answers, and of course, the top tip of the week for this week. So lots to look forward to in this episode. So without wanting to drag this out any further, let's jump straight in and hear from Oliver. Marvellous. Well, thank you for joining me again. You're quickly becoming a firm friend of the BursaCast. Not a problem at all. My pleasure. So there's lots and lots of strike action going on between now and up to March that we know of. Let's try and make sense of it all. So people are striking over pay disputes. That's right. So this is a, a industrial action in relation to a dispute over pay. And essentially, this is relating to the pay awarded nationally for teachers and support staff in the maintained sector and the dispute is with the government over that over those national terms and conditions. Okay sure so given it's in the maintained sector is it lawful for members of staff in the independent sector to come out in sympathy with the maintained sector staff? Well the, the, the answer to that is no so there's something in law called secondary action in the context of um, uh, industrial relations law, which is which would essentially be the situation that you've described, which is staff in independent schools striking essentially in sympathy or support of colleagues within uh, the maintained sector, that would technically be unlawful under the legislation. The question of whether industrial action in independent schools would be lawful or not is one that is um, very much a live issue and we've produced some detailed guidance on that for the ISBA and that the guidance we've produced is essentially putting forward the argument that because the dispute here is in relation to the national terms and conditions as set by the government in respect of which independent schools are not bound that any industrial action taken in independent schools unless there's a pre-existing dispute within that particular school would be unlawful. So that provides some degree of reassurance to independent schools in respect of the current risk of Mm. staff striking over the next few weeks. Having said that, this isn't an issue which independent schools can ignore, and it's one that we are seeing uh, develop and the situation could change over the coming weeks and months. Okay, sure. And then in relation to the employment contract, Striking, lawful, unlawful, surely it depends on the union that's involved or no union at all. What are the kind of details of that? Yeah, so the basic principle in terms of the employment contract is that by not working on a day where you are contracted to work for the purposes of a strike would essentially amount to a breach of the employment contract. Having said that, provided that various legal requirements are met in terms of firstly there being a valid trade dispute um, in respect of the industrial action and then also various complicated participation thresholds and notification requirements in terms of the ballot for strike action. If all of those requirements are met by the union 
then the staff who engage in that strike action, even though that would technically be a breach of employment contract, would be protected um, in respect of suffering dismissal or detriment as a result of that action. And equally, the unions would benefit from statutory immunity in relation to any claims against them. So that's where the question of whether the action is lawful or unlawful has some significance. Okay, sure. And if a member of staff does go on strike, I'm assuming it's right to say that their pay is then withheld and you, you lose a day's pay or as many days as you take on strike. Correct. Yeah. So any day of strike action, uh, the school would not be required to pay for that day and would be able to make a deduction from wages for that uh, that day's action. Okay, sure. And what arrangements can school management take to arrange for replacement staff during this period? What's the kind of, are there any legal topics around that? Yeah, so the question of replacement labour is one that's um, been a a topical issue over recent months in the context of all of the strikes that have been going on nationally. There had been a, a prohibition in place in respect of agencies providing agency workers for the purposes of covering striking staff during industrial action. Uh, That provision was repealed. So there is no longer that restriction on agencies providing agency workers to come in and provide cover during a strike. So the restrictions around what you can do in respect of replacement labour are not uh, significant in any way. So you can ask other staff to provide cover where it's reasonable to do so and it fits within their skill set, experience, duties and and responsibilities. You can look to recruit labour in to provide cover to mitigate the impact of that action. I think that the context to that, so whilst there aren't, that there are no longer those legal restrictions in relation to agency workers, the, the difficulty you can find in respect of looking to use existing staff to cover striking colleagues is that can lead to some employee relations issues. Um, It can be a very sensitive uh, situation with those staff on the ground who might be asked to provide cover for their colleagues who are engaging in the strike. So I think schools need to be sympathetic to that. But there are options available in terms of looking at replacement labour. And we have produced actually this week a frequently asked questions document that ISBA have publicised which covers those very practical questions like that. What can we do in the event that the reality of strike action hits and we need to take whatever steps we can to mitigate the impact? Okay, sure. And then another, I suppose, practical question. Is there something that bursas specifically should be including in communication with union members or non-union members who are thinking about striking? Well, I think at this stage for independent schools, there's there's certainly no need to uh, press the panic button in relation to strike action. I think what we've seen at this point is that uh, we know that the NEU are asking their members within the maintained sector to strike. At this stage, it doesn't appear as though they're seeking to ask their members within independent schools to strike. What we do know is that the NEU have launched an independent sector pay campaign. So we we would anticipate that independent schools will see an increase in pay claims from staff internally over the coming weeks and months that might result in some dispute, which could lead to the future risk of industrial action becoming a reality. The other main education union, the NSUWT, are in a slightly 
different position because they've said that they have mandates for industrial action within 184 independent schools across the UK. Okay. Um, we're not aware of the NASUWT having actually given notices of an intention to strike on the back of those mandates. And you have all of those questions then that we mentioned earlier around whether that strike action would be lawful or not. But that presents that degree of risk for schools going forward in the independent sector. And this is a fast developing uh, situation. So I think in terms of the, the current steps that bursas might look to take in terms of communication, it might be actually that schools decide that there's no need to communicate at this stage with staff. That's going to be a judgment call for each individual school, I think, but depending on how they feel staff are responding to this issue. If there are concerns and questions being raised, it might be appropriate to think about communication to staff that provides some reassurance and perhaps emphasises the approach that the school takes to pay and how it justifies those decisions. If there isn't that uh, feeling that there's uh, that staff are unsettled as a result of this, schools might equally legitimately decide that we're going to hold off on that communication at this stage. What I would say about communicating with staff is do take some advice on that, because what you don't want to do as an independent school is enter into that communication and potentially inadvertently create a dispute where one currently doesn't exist. So just take some advice on the content of that communication if you feel it's necessary to put something out there to staff. Sure. And then going on from that to communication with parents, are there any pitfalls with this as well? Yeah, I think similar. I think it, it's around that judgment call of not wanting to unsettle parents at this stage. I've spoken to a number of schools who have contemplated that or are considering do we need to communicate with parents at this stage? And I think, again, that will be a judgment call for each school based on what kind of questions they're getting. If you're getting multiple questions from parents about what's happening around strike action, is this going to affect us? Um, you know, What's this all about? That could prompt you to think that actually there's a wider communication here that would be helpful, that's reassuring in nature. The difficulty, however, with the communication with parents is how certain you can be about what will happen in the future. It's very difficult to say to parents at this stage, don't worry, there's not going to be strike action in our schools. And you wouldn't want to give that message because clearly if things change and develop over the coming weeks and months, that's not going to look good in terms of your communication. So the difficulty with that communication at this point is being able to provide that degree of certainty. So again, I think I'd, I'd suggest that schools reflect on that, reflect on their own parent bodies and their individual circumstances, and do take some advice around the nature of those communications if they do decide that they feel that's necessary. Okay, sure. And then just on the topic quickly of communications with staff again, regarding law, is it okay for school management versus to ask employees whether they're members of unions and whether they're intending to strike? So th there's there's no right to know whether a member of staff is a member of a union or not. Or not. And I wouldn't suggest that we're asking that specific question, because what you don't want to do is be seen to be singling out those who are who you believe to be union members. In respect to the question around asking whether staff are going to strike or not, so if, if an independent school receives a notification from a union that there's going to be a strike and there would have to be no prior notification, by law you have to have at least 14 days notice of a planned uh, day of strike action. If that happens, 
staff are not required to tell you whether or not they intend to strike. There's no reason, however, why you can't ask the question, and I would certainly suggest that schools do so in those circumstances. But you would ask that question of all the relevant staff. You wouldn't single out any individuals. You would ask staff with a general communication to to confirm whether they intend to strike or not, to help your operational decisions in terms of the running of the school um, and your risk assessment of how that industrial action is going to impact the provision of education. Just be mindful that staff might not confirm their intentions or could change their mind right up until the point of the day of strike action. But it's a sensible thing to do to at least give you some form of information to inform those decisions. Okay, sure. And then just before I I, I very kindly let you go, you've been wonderfully helpful here. What are the kind of best and worst scenarios that might come in the next few weeks, months, however long this might take? Well, I think, so best scenarios, I think it'll be really interesting to see how it develops over the coming weeks and months. I think for independent schools, a lot will depend on what is their current position on pay. And this is another practical step that bursas can and should, I think, be taking at this stage whilst we're monitoring what's happening in the maintained sector and in respect of the dispute between the government and the unions. Reviewing your own internal pay structure and the justification behind that, because I think you can you can certainly anticipate that um, there are likely to be questions from uh, members of staff um, within independent schools around pay over the coming months, uh, weeks and months. Um, so you need to be in a position where you're able to justify your position on pay. If you're an independent school that pays in line with the maintained sector or below the maintained sector, the risk of industrial action is going to inevitably be greater than in comparison to an independent school that pays in excess of the maintained sector. So carrying out that analysis of your pay arrangements now is a useful exercise. Best scenario is that the dispute is between the government and the unions is resolved. We don't see large-scale pay claims within independent schools. And this that the momentum that's gathered at the moment in relation to this industrial action gradually reduces. Worst case scenario is it goes the other way and that we see those multiple pay claims within independent schools leading to um, valid trade disputes that could result in lawful industrial action. I think what independent schools need to do at this point in time is be very aware of this issue, monitor it closely. Uh, We, along with the sector organisations, will be keeping an eye on this and, and providing regular guidance. Okay, sure. Interesting. And then a question that you and if you choose not to answer this, I will just edit it out. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> but it's the topic of whilst the current strike immediately is about pay disputes, do you think there might be other political party motives? Well, we know from a political perspective that um, there is the challenge for independent schools in relation to labour policy in respect of charitable status and uh, the VAT exemption for independent schools. There is this momentum, I think within the main education unions on the back of the NEU having been successful in their ballot in the maintained sector. Um, I think we'll see increasingly the union's influence within independent schools becoming more prominent. Um, I think we've seen that over recent years anyway, actually, in the context of 
issues such as teachers' pension scheme. We've certainly seen an increase in that uh, union engagement, an increase in union membership within independent schools. We might see an increase in things like recognition requests from trade unions to independent schools. I think that will be a common theme. Um, And that, you know, the political landscape, as always, plays a part and impacts those developments. Thank you very much for for that. Uh, I wasn't sure whether it was something that was going to be difficult to to give an answer to. But the final question, and one that I can guarantee you will not expect, is that if you were to spectate a sporting final, what sport would it be? What sport would it be? Well, oh, that's a tricky one. I'd I'd sit somewhere between um, football and tennis because those are my two passions from a sport perspective. It probably would be football. It probably would be football. It would be a World Cup final. Have to be. That would be the pinnacle. Yeah, absolutely. At Wembley, one day, one day. At Wembley, England, hopefully, maybe. <laughs> we can dream. Oliver, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you get on. Thank you so much for your time. Really you. appreciate it. No problem at all. Thank you very much, Oliver, for taking the time to talk us through those long and winding difficult topics of pay disputes and industrial action. In a linked guidance note, there is a bit of information here regarding how marketing and communications can help schools. In tough times, every element of school budgets comes under scrutiny, and one of the softer targets for spending cuts are the marketing and communication budget lines. This can be a very short-sighted strategy, as effective marketing and communications will get accurate and timely messages out to the correct members of the school community effectively and clearly. There is some more guidance on that in the reference library. In other news, the School Partnerships Alliance's new report has been published, The School Partnerships Alliance is the membership organisation dedicated to researching, enabling and promoting meaningful partnerships between schools across the state and independent sectors for the benefit of the children throughout the education system. The SBA has published a new report highlighting the impact school partnerships make in innovating ways throughout the sector. The report demonstrates how partnering together to tackle regional challenges achieves greater opportunities for all pupils than schools could on their own. The report recognises partnerships come in many shapes and sizes, but the most important factor is they are all mutually productive for all schools involved and make a materially positive difference to the educational, social and employment outcomes and opportunities of the pupils educated across them. Examples of impactful school partnership work highlighted in the report include shared STEM teacher recruitment, boosts to state school post-16 provision, and opportunities for young people to build their business and entrepreneurial skills. This is SBA's first report since it was founded in 2021 and marks the start of it working with the sector to be a force for school improvement and to ensure the strongest outcomes for all children, informed by research and driven by impact. On to another topical subject, the pensions webinar for schools with non-TPS-defined benefit pension schemes such as Pensions Trust. Now, the information on this is off the back of thanks to those of you who completed our recent survey on non-TPS-defined benefit pension scheme participation. That is a mouthful. The survey received good engagement, identifying several dozen schools that may benefit from support in this area. To this end, we'll be holding a free webinar on the 3rd of February titled Non-TPS-defined benefit pension schemes update. This will be of particular relevance to schools which may operate a non-TPS-DB scheme. 
such as the Pensions Trust or have members in the local government pension scheme. Until recently, these schemes have been in deficit, but this webinar will demonstrate how it may be that they have now moved into surplus and a school's withdrawal from the scheme might be appropriate. Please book your place on the webinar via our website. And for this next part, we're going to be hearing from advice and guidance maestro, Mr. Rex Sartain. Hi, Rex. Thanks for being here. You're very welcome. Thanks very much indeed for inviting me. It's quite all right. I would, would love to have you go over some of the top advice and guidance questions and answers for this week, and also the ISBA top tip, which is, of course, the highlight of many people's weeks, I'm sure. So we'll start off question one. How should we go about conducting safeguarding checks required to employ a Ukrainian refugee? Essentially, it's business as usual for schools who wish to employ a Ukrainian. Uh, I.e. there's no leniency about references, etc. But do look at the recruit teachers from overseas, which includes uh, a phrase that says, if you're carrying out safeguarding checks on Ukrainian citizens, they can apply to the Ministry of Internal Affairs of Ukraine for a criminal record check. Uh, and there's various other uh, details that are available. And you may also find information about the Ukrainian education system at the Ukrainian Ministry of Education. And should you have issues with finding suitable references, do use the Keep the Children Safe in Education advice on overseas checks, uh, which you'll see in paragraph 280 uh, to 285. Brilliant. Thank you. And moving on to question two, may an individual start work in regulated activity having completed all recruitment checks without a DBS certificate, which has been applied for but not received, providing we have a completed risk assessment to minimise any potential risk? Do you know what? We get this question on quite a regular basis, but the answer is yes, do start the individual, but ensure you have carried out a separate barred list check that is key check their identity uh, complete uh, and revise at least on a fortnightly basis a risk assessment and also ensure the individual is appropriately supervised loose supervision would seem appropriate given the circumstances that you describe uh, but again keep the children safe in education paragraph 247 to 148 uh, is a usual reference. Thank you. And final question. Our chair of governors has resigned. Please may you confirm what we need to do in terms of proprietor checks. The DfE has updated guidance on the required process for proprietors and chairs of governors uh, is in an ISBA document 2889. And it does include a DPS application form for completion. Do note, verify, will contact the applicant once DFE has been able to process the application. Again, the ISI commentary and Appendix 2 is a useful document. Brilliant. Thank you. And to round this off, what is the ISBA's top tip of the week? Top tip of the week is, in relation to the unions and the threatened strike action, there are two really useful documents. Firstly, the trade union recognition guidance, and secondly, the document on dispute over pay, the threat of industrial action guidance. 
marvellous, thank you. And then to follow on from the question that I gave to Oliver earlier, if you were to play in any sporting world final, what would be your sport of choice? Rugby, of course. Absolutely. And where would you be playing on the field? Uh, prop. That's my normal position. Tight head, uh, where all the anger uh, and strength is. I also gather that they're the most well-paid uh, members of a rugby team. Well, that's what I'd like to think anyway. One can hope. Well, you'll be in my fantasy team for sure. Thanks, Rex. I'll let you get on. Really appreciate it. Bye. Looking forward to the next couple days and weeks, we have an update in our professional development programme. This is the form of our finance conference, which will take place on Tuesday, the 7th of February at BMA House in London. There's more information about booking and the programme on our website. And looking forward to the next few webinars, we have on the 31st of January a Biodiversity Net Gain Now and Beyond webinar. Also on the 31st of January, we have an EXIT update. And then the 3rd of February has a non-TPS defined benefit pension scheme update, as I mentioned before. And on the 10th of February, there is a property project planning webinar. There are lots more upcoming, but I shan't bombard you with them now. And finally, before I sign off, the next regional meetings will be on the 30th of January at 2.30pm for the Solent. That is virtual. The 6th of February at 2pm for Kent, also virtual. The 9th of February at 9.30am for the Scottish schools. That'll also be virtual. And then the 9th of February at 1pm for Reading. That's face-to-face at Down House. And the 10th of February at 9.30am for the South West. And that one is virtual. So that is it for the end of this BursaCast. Lots of information here. If you did find it useful, please make sure to share it with members of your team and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an update. If you have any questions, please email advice team at the ISBA or if you want to speak to me and the podcast team, just email podcast at the ISBA.org.uk. Till next time, farewell. Farewell.